We're going to read uh, Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is the word of God. Good morning, church. It is uh, good to see you uh, this morning. You know, we took a break from our series in the Psalms called The Songs of Jesus because of the Easter season. And so the Easter season is over and we're picking up this series again. Uh, but, but Easter was fantastic, wasn't it? I mean, what a great day Easter was. I mean, just packed out, overflowing, baptisms and, and fellowshipping and feasting together was such a, a, an incredible day. Easter statistically speaking, across all denominations, churches all over, statistically speaking, has the highest attendance of any other day of the year. And weirdly enough, the Sunday after Easter, which is today, is the lowest attendance of all churches across denominations everywhere, and we're kind of feeling that today. Um, on Easter, what I'm encouraged by is that most churches explicitly zero in on the gospel. It's actually rare to find a church that does that every single week. Well, we want to try to do that every single week, whether we're in the New Testament or the Old Testament, and we're in the Old Testament looking at the book of Psalms, these songs, and this is called a series called The Songs of Jesus because uh, Jesus meditated on, internalized them. He is quoted, uh, he famously quotes the Psalms through, throughout the gospel, so they are the songs of Jesus. Now, here's what I want to talk about today. Whether you are a Christian or not, you need to know or you need to be reminded that it is not enough to just intellectually believe in God or to agree that, that God exists. That's not enough. All of hell believes in God. So obviously, that's not enough. Christianity is about beholding God, beholding his glory, 
beholding who he is and what he has done so that it fills your heart with a desire to praise and worship him, not just on Sundays, but every single day of your life. And it shapes your whole life, the way that you interact with your, your spouse or your children or your friends, your coworkers, your employees. It changes everything. Psalm 96 helps us behold the glory and the majesty of God. From the very top, verse 1 calls us to sing to the Lord a new song with overwhelming joy. Now you need to know if you read the psalm, what you'll see is that it's not just leading us people to sing, but all of creation to sing. The birds and the trees and the beasts and the sea, everything is called to sing. Now, this psalm has a totally different vibe than Psalm 77 that we looked at earlier in the series, right? Remember when it just, I mean, it was all about despair and the brokenness that we experience in this broken world. So compared to a psalm like that, this psalm right here, 96, it's kind of like that guy we all have in our lives that's just a little detached from reality, a little too enthusiastic about everything. Everything is awesome, right? It's easy to view Psalm 96 the same way. It seems too enthusiastic. It seems to be detached from reality and the brokenness that, that is all over, that's worldwide. Here's our dilemma. So many psalms are laments about oppression and hurt and the nightmare of it all, like the bombings in, in Sri Lanka, killing hundreds of people, the injustice and the oppression in our own country and around the world. And, and just yesterday, the, the, the synagogue that shot up is right down the street from where we live, in an area that's known as one of the safest, safest places to live. It's everywhere. And it's in your own life, in your own family, in your own house as well. And it's all just overwhelming. So, our dilemma. How are we supposed to sing with joy knowing what we know? I mean, with so much evil, pain, and, and suffering out in the world and in our own hearts and, and lives. You know, the most popular psychologist today and his best-selling book will tell you just don't think about it. Think about nice things like cats. And I'm not making that up. I've read his book. You know what that is? You know what advice that is telling you to do? That advice is telling you to deliberately detach from reality. There's no answers, there's no hope in that. As we look at this psalm, we will see that it addresses reality head on. It shows us that in our broken world and messed up world, we need to behold, we need to sing, and we need to be glad, and I'll explain. If you're taking notes, the first note in your handout, we need to behold. Now, I don't use that word, I don't think any of us use that word, behold, very often. Because it almost sounds like you have to say it that way. Behold. Behold, Tyler Jones. No, you'd be saying, hey, check it out. It's Tyler. 
right? We don't use behold. But I needed a word stronger than just look or see or check it out or mira. Behold means to see or observe someone or something especially of remarkable, impressive nature. Verse 3 tells us to declare God's glory. And to declare God's glory, you have to behold God's glory. Verse 7 tells us to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And to ascribe glory and strength to the Lord, you need to behold the strength and the glory of the Lord. And why is he telling us to ascribe and declare God's glory? Verse 5, this is the problem for all God's of all the nations are idols. Now when it says the nations right there, that's talking about all humanity. That's talking about you and me. This verse right here is telling us that we all have a problem, that we all have a tendency, we have this inclination to, to worship other things, to worship false idols. And I'm not just talking about little carvings or statuettes. All this, I'll explain what I mean. But let me acknowledge something here. All this talk about, about glory and idols and worship might seem weird to you because it might be new to you. And for others, it may, you know, you may be familiar with these terms, but you're just not thoughtful about them anymore. So we gotta make sure we're on the same page. What does it mean to worship? It's easy for people to think that worship is just a religious exercise, a, a religious experience, just something that you do on a Sunday if you have nothing better to do. But the Bible says that worship is not just something that you do once a Sunday. The word worship comes from the old English word worship, to bestow worth to someone or something. And everybody does this. Everybody is a worshiper, whether you believe in God or not, whether you're religious or not, everybody worships. That's how we are wired up. It's just a difference in what it is that we worship or who it is that we worship. Everybody's a worshiper. We all have things and people in our lives that are good and important to us, but we give more worth to them than we should. Our families, our jobs, our convenience, our comfort. We give worth to privacy and solitude if we're introverts. Uh, we give worth to, to parties and living it up if we're an extrovert. We give worth to our money or our status or our looks or our hobbies for what we think that they can do for us. They reflect our true worship, what we're truly worshiping, our value system, and that shapes our lives and how we live them. The psalmist is calling all of creation, is calling you and calling me to give worth to God above all else because he alone is worthy of our worship. He alone is worthy of our values and lives. And we mess it up all the time. When we think about what worship is, if we just stop and think for a second what worship is, we will see that our worship is misplaced most of the time. And our misplaced worship, even if it's in good things, you know, like family, will enslave us, it will imprison us, it will shame us. Because none of them are worthy of our worship. They can never live up to the expectations 
that we have for them. Only God is worthy. And what does glory mean? In verse 5, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. And that word glory gets thrown around a lot, and we forget the weightiness of it. And in fact, that's exactly what it means. Weightiness in relation to, compared to someone or something else. Glory means substance. It means essence. And if God is ultimately glorious in comparison, everything else is just fluff and smoke. Everything else. Nothing else compares. Nothing deserves our praise. Nothing deserves our adoration. Nothing deserves our time. Nothing deserves our effort. Nothing deserves our attention more than God. And to declare the glory of God is to declare the weightiness, the substance, the importance of God, to give him your attention. And we mess it up. For example, if a relationship of yours ends for one reason or another, it is okay to grieve over that. But it's a completely different thing if it destroys you. It's good to love your job. It's good to want a job. But it's a completely different thing if you lose your identity without it. See, here's the deal. If you lose that which you glory in more than God, or I should say when you lose that which you glory in more than God, it will take you down. It will destroy you. Because it's not worthy. It can't live up to being worthy to be worshipped. We put all our hopes and dreams in that and it lets us down. And glorifying God cannot just be an intellectual exercise. When you glorify something, it's because it's beautiful to you. You love it. You can't get enough of it. Glorifying God is not less than believing in God. It's not less than obeying God. It is more. It is experiencing and seeing and being with and beholding the beauty of God, who he is, what he's done, and what he's doing. Meditating on that. C.S. Lewis said, that we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses our enjoyment, but our praise completes the enjoyment. When we praise what we enjoy, we enjoy it even more. So here's what I want you to do this morning. Here's what I want want you to ask yourself this morning. Are you bored with it all? Are you just going through the motions? Is, Is God just a concept to you? Do you just believe that God exists? Do you just go to a worship service, you know, when you don't have something better to do? You know, just because you're supposed to. Or do you enjoy God? Do you find him more beautiful than anything else? And you look forward to to living a life here and now, every day and on Sunday, to worshiping God. Verse 5 is our problem. We are attracted, if you look at our lives and what we're preoccupied with and how we spend our time and money, we find that we are attracted to other things more than God, more than worshiping him. 
We need to behold God and his glory, to see him, to be in awe of him, to worship him and him alone. The question is how, right? How? Well, part of that, part of that is we need to sing. The command to sing is repeated three times right off the top. Verse 1 and 2, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, praise his name. And the command is given again at the end in verse 12, let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. In Jewish poetry, what we see at the beginning and end of a poem defines the whole poem, defines the whole idea. This psalm is about what? Singing, right? What the psalmist is saying is, if you really behold God, if you really behold who he is, the beauty of who he is and what he's done and what he's doing, you will sing. What he's saying is, if you don't, you won't be changed. If you don't, you won't be renewed unless you sing. Remember our dilemma? How can we sing with all the evil, pain, and suffering in the world and in our hearts and lives? I got to tell you something. Even just this week, I didn't want to prepare for this sermon. I just didn't want to do the work. I was tired. I was discouraged. I, I just, I could barely get the minimum done this last week. And I was resenting that I still had to do a sermon about rejoicing on Sunday. I didn't know how to get there. And I'm glad that I was kind of, in a sense, that I had to do this that I had to reflect on who God is and what he's done. That changes. Whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent, dwell on these things because it's good for you and your faith and your relationship with God. You don't just drift into rejoicing. You don't just drift into glorifying God with your lives. It's deliberate because he is worthy how can we sing when there's so much evil and pain? Well, I realize that's kind of the wrong way to look at it. The evil, pain, and suffering in the world and in our hearts and lives is overcome by praise and worship. It changes your whole perspective. It changes the way you live and treat others, especially people who are weaker than you. Especially people you can easily ignore or easily disrespect. You know, it changes everything. In the New Testament, Paul tells his readers to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he says be filled with the Holy Spirit, he is telling us that being a Christian is not just, you know, going to church on Sunday. It's not just having a, a moral code that we call Christian. All kinds of non-Christians are moral. Being a Christian has to mean more than that. There has to be some kind of rebirth. There has to be some kind of revitalization. There has to be some kind of spiritual regeneration. You have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does that look like? He tells us in the next verse, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Music connects with all of us, right? 
I mean, different styles for different people and all cultures around the world. That's why Henry Wadsworth Longfellow said, music is the universal language of mankind. And Plato said, music gives a soul to the universe. Everybody knows throughout history that music is a big deal. It is amazing, beautiful, mind-blowing gift of God. Paul is saying here, there's something about music that stirs up spiritual strength if it's focused on you know, who God is and what he's done. And you know what? We know this power of music. It's why the psalmist tells us to sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. God is worthy of us to sing joyfully and skillfully, or at least as skillfully as we can. And with our whole heart. Because it is good for us. And it's life-giving. Not just to us, but the people that you're with. And to a watching world. What is going on in the hearts of those people? What is it that so captivates them that makes their life different and fills them with joy and causes them to, to sacrifice for others and, and to take great risks for God or just being faithful even in the little things every single day? Do you know that, that your worship is evangelism? If you're like, meh, about worship, then you know what? You're not a good missionary. You can't be a good missionary without good worship you can't worship well without being a missionary. They just go hand in hand. When Paul says to make music to the Lord in your hearts, he's addressing the center of your identity, your hearts, what you love, what drives your commitments, your trust, your hopes, your dreams. Seeing the truth about God presses the truth of God into your hearts. That's what it does. The heart is the center of your being, and God's gift of music somehow blends our minds and, and our emotions and our bodies in a way that gives us the ability to better glorify God. You know what? Maybe, maybe you're in a season right now where you feel like you're just not experiencing God right now. Like, where'd the fire go? I used to be, you know, I went to camp one time. We had a campfire. We all sang Kumbaya, and I was like, on a spiritual high. You know, I don't experience God anymore. Or maybe you feel like you don't know God, like you should. Or there's something, there's just something in my heart that's missing. The psalmist says, sing. When you sing, it takes what you know about God and it presses into your heart. If you think that you can't sing, just remember you're not singing to bring glory to yourself. It's all about glorifying God. We miss that all the time. I remember reading about some conversation online where one guy said to his friend, I didn't really like worship that much at church today. And the other guy said, that's okay because we weren't worshiping you. <laughs> it's all about worshiping God. Whether you like the style or not, the culture, cultural background of the music or not, it's good theology. That's what you focus on. It's for God. When we all sing, it's not a band and the audience. When we all sing, you're all the choir. 
all of you. You're not just audience and observers having a, you know, a religious rock concert. You are the choir, and you're called to sing. Now, after all this talk, we still have a dilemma. I mean, you might be able to muster up the decision, the resolve to sing, but how long can you sustain that? If evil, pain, and suffering in the world and in our hearts and lives is overcome by praise and worship, what do you do when you can't sustain that, that desire to do so? Because the command alone to praise and worship doesn't have the power to change us. We need to be glad. And I'll explain what I mean. This is our last point. The end of the psalm in verse 11. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant in everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. Why? For he comes to judge the earth and he will judge the world. So rejoice. Now, time out. The whole, the whole song, the whole call to rejoice is based on judgment. I mean, how can we sing if the reason we should be glad is based on judgment? You know, I was online yesterday on um, IMDb, you know, where it lists all the movies and all the TV shows and everything, all the actors and everything like that. There are dozens and dozens of movies that are titled Judgment Day. Not one of them was described as the feel-good movie of the summer. <laughs> Not one of them. Because this idea of judgment stirs up dread. Why should we rejoice in that? Well, the next uh, verses give us two reasons, two reasons to rejoice in this judgment. Judgment Day is the day of unimaginable renewal. Judgment Day is a day when evil ends. Judgment Day is when reckoning and reconciliation are complete, when death and decay and brokenness and evil will finally be removed. And if that doesn't make you glad, you know what it means? It means you really haven't suffered yet. People who suffer, people who hurt, people who are terrorized, people who are oppressed by injustice need for it to end. And it is justice that ends injustice. They long for this day. The other day, a couple weeks ago, I was kind of stressed, you know, I was just stressed out. Things just got really heavy. So I decided uh, to go see a movie by myself. That's what you do when you're old. You go see movies by yourself. I never felt right doing that when I was younger, but I don't care anymore. And so the only thing that was playing was Hotel Mumbai. Anybody see Hotel Mumbai? One person. Oh, my goodness. That was the wrong movie I should have seen when I was feeling the way I was feeling. I never saw a more brutal, 
relentlessly disturbing movie in my life. And it was based on a true story about these terrorist attacks throughout Mumbai. And it zeroed in on one particular hotel, uh, Hotel Taj or something like that. And these terrorists were coming through and just, it was active shooters all throughout the place. And it was brutal, women and babies and, and, and men and children and and it was relentless, and it was relentless, and it was relentless. And they were waiting for the special forces to come in to end it all. To end them because it needed to end the oppression. And when they finally came in, you're like, thank God it's about time. They needed justice. Judgment day is relief from oppression. But more than that, setting all the wrongs right. And if that doesn't stir your heart, it's because you haven't suffered yet or you're just doing your best not to think about it. The Apostle Paul says, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day. Creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning and we believers also groan for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Creation is cursed. And all creation was cursed when we, humankind, decided to make ourselves king at the center of our own universe, living according to our own personalized self-righteousness and worshiping whatever it is our hearts desire. That is what broke the world in the first place. That's what broke us. Now everything's messed up. And we perpetuate it. We say we love other people more than ourselves, but we don't. We love ourselves way more. Maybe you say you hate yourself. Hate yourself. It just means that you love an idealized fantasy of who you wish you were, and you obsess over that more than you love other people. I know this from personal experience. We say we should be selfless, but we're selfish. We say it's not good to be self-centered, but we are. It's all about us, what we want, what we like, what we want to do or not do. That's what broke the world. Our psalm reminds us that even creation can't wait to be freed from the curse that we brought upon it with our self-centeredness. Creation rejoices for the deliverance that judgment day will bring. Even when we don't, even when we are too short-sighted or too apathetic or too bored or too distracted to rejoice, creation will rejoice. Nature rejoices. You know what, that's kind of humbling. A tree is able to glorify God better and more consistently than we can. But a day is coming when all creation, you and I, will be renewed. And if all of creation will be able to glorify God far better than it does now, and if that's true of a tree, how much more is it of you? We are just a dim shadow of what we will be. 
The future restoration coming means we are going to run and not be weary. We're going to walk and not faint. I mean, words fail to describe what you will be when you are fully renewed and glorified. And if that doesn't move you, you are detached from reality. So, my encouragement to you this morning is to face your brokenness. To face the brokenness in our world. Ignore pop psychologists who tell you to just don't think about it. Face it. What is your pain right now? What is it that you're facing? What, you, what are you trying to ignore but you can't even though you try? What is so painful you can't see anything else, you can't feel anything else? This text is saying that all things will be renewed one day. There will be singing. This is your hope. This is what enables you to persevere through it all. Your joy will be complete because of judgment day. There will be a reckoning. The wrongs of Sri Lanka, the wrongs of synagogue shootings, the wrongs of death and decay, the wrongs of poverty and racism and apathy to it all will be righted. And we can start that process and be a part of it now. <laughs> That's worship that renews your heart in the world. Do you see that? Now I can talk about the glory of God and how he is renewing all things and that we should worship him with all of our heart and life. And again, that might fire you up for a moment. But that alone doesn't change your hearts to live life that way. It contributes, but we need more. And here's why. Because if we are honest about our hearts and lives, we would see that we're part of the problem. You, you, you would see that we are contributing to the curse. You will see that we deserve judgment day. So how can we be glad? If we're part of the problem, that needs to be corrected. How can evil be destroyed without us being destroyed in the process? How can our hearts be changed? Well, we get a hint in the last line. He will judge the world in righteousness. So judgment is carried out by the ultimate judge. But then here's what's interesting. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. What kind of judge? You're the defendant. You walk in and the judge says to you, I'm not going to base my judgment on your faithfulness on your behavior but on my faithfulness. What kind of judge says that? This one does. And this is the judge that is coming to judge the world. This judge was immersed in the Psalms and quoted them often 
in the Gospels, when he was dying on the cross for our sin, he cried out the first verse of Psalm 22, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the same Psalm continues with, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among the assembled people. A psalm that brings agony and leads to, but then leads to praise, saying so, saying so deeply in Jesus' heart that at the end of his life, when the synapses were slowing to a stop, words of worship from this psalm is what comes out of his mouth. And even while he's dying, he builds up our faith in our glorious God while he is fulfilling our sentence on the cross. Man. And see, here's why. Our judge knows that for the new heavens and the new earth to be completely renewed and fulfilled, for all things to be renewed, he would need to cry out the first line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If he was going to defeat death and disorder, he would have to enter into death and disorder. He goes into it so you can come out of it. That right there is the answer to our dilemma. That is the hope we have while we face the darkness and brokenness in our lives and in our world. So how is brokenness out there and brokenness in here healed? How can we be, be glad and worship? By seeing that our judge doesn't judge based on our faithfulness, but on his. And by seeing Jesus die in our place, by receiving the gracious gift of full forgiveness given to us through the cross, by seeing that your relationship with God the Father is restored, that is what fills your heart with gladness. The beauty of what God has done and what he is doing compels you to praise and worship. And when you see your life, that you will see your life in that light, and behold the glory of God, it changes everything for you. It doesn't matter what trial you are facing right now. The trial won't harden your heart. It won't destroy you because you behold the truth of the gospel, what Jesus accomplished on the cross when he endured judgment for you in your place so that you can sing. Do you see how worship is so much more than a Sunday morning thing? Do you see how life-giving and vital and important it is? Do you see how ridiculous it is to step away from it when you don't feel like it? And you know what? You, you know you can't grit your teeth to muster up gladness. It kind of doesn't work that way, does it? Your heart needs to sing. That only happens when you see your singing Savior dying for you, loving you. Singing God's praises reminds you that all of the suffering that you experience today will be healed and beauty becomes eternal if you trust in Jesus as your judge. And you get a taste of that future today when you sing his praises. You can be filled with eager expectation, even in the midst of, of your own pain. 
And then that changes the way you interact with other people, changes your priorities. You get out of your comfort zone. You begin to love and serve other people with the truth and the love of Jesus in both word and deed. Do you see how worship renews the world? That's, that, that's what I want you to be thinking about when, when we sing this morning. I mean, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Or, or when we sing, all helpless, all secure, all hopeful, all broken, all thankless, all poor, all peaceful, all violent, all fearless, all afraid, all angry, all rejoicing, all doubting, all assured, all joyful, all mourning. Come gaze upon God's glory. Come receive his love and mercy. His grace declares his glory. You are loved forever and completely. Sing to the Lord a new song. Lift up his name with joyful praise. Sing of his sweet salvation. Morning to night and day to day. Creation joins to praise him. Our God is great. The sinner finds salvation. Our God is great. The church of Christ proclaims it. Our God is great. His kingdom shouts and sings it. Our God is great. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?